What's up, everyone? Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Copon. It's August 13, 2021, and this is Lift and Learn episode 48. In this episode, I'll be talking about the best exercises for your back and how genetics could affect you in terms of being healthy. Before that, though, I'll talk a bit about what I've been up to lately, and that might include fitness-related topics, and it might not. If you want to follow me, your host, on Instagram, it's isaiah.copon, and you can also check out my website, isaiahcopon.com. The podcast is on Instagram, at Lift and Learn Podcast, on Twitter, at Lift and Learn Pod, and also on Facebook. You can just search Lift and Learn Podcast. With that being said, let's get into it. So the 2020 Summer Olympics are over. They wrapped up this past Sunday. Canada ended up with 24 medals this year at the Tokyo Olympics, a grand total of 7 gold medals, 6 silver, and 11 bronze medals. They're most in a while, actually. And the USA had 113 medals, but their population is 10 times ours, so technically we have more medals per capita or per population or something like that. So in terms of medals, let's break it down one last time, starting off with the bronze medals. So first there was the 50km speedwalk race, and Canada surprisingly got bronze there. That was by Evan Dunphy. I just happened to tune into the Olympics one day, and they were showing the speedwalk race. And it's still funny to me how they have to move their arms and hips the way that they do. And every time I see it on TV, I instantly think of this one episode of Malcolm in the Middle where the dad of the show, who is Brian Cranston, who turned out to be Heisenberg on Breaking Bad later in his life. (laughs) In this episode, he was racing some other guy who kept speed walking through his neighborhood, and that episode is hilarious. Anyways, congrats to Evan on that bronze medal. Well earned in that grueling 50-kilometer race. I think it was nearly a four-hour race. I don't even know if I could walk 50 kilometers, better yet, having to speed walk it. I think for me, that's from my house in Brampton all the way to something like Scarborough. And the event that is one of the more exciting ones, the 4x100 meter race. And Canada only got bronze this week, and that's still better than no medal. They also got... Um, bronze in 2016, I believe. Their exchanges of the baton weren't the greatest, but at least they pulled out a medal, which is still great. Italy again ended up winning that race and had a great photo finish, taking the gold from Great Britain, just barely with a photo finish. Again, I don't know where the Jamaicans were this year. But honestly, watching that race had me go down a bit of a rabbit hole on YouTube. I was just watching Donovan Bailey run his 100-meter races at the Olympics when he won in 1996, and then the 4x100 Canadian team, who also easily won gold that year too. 
just the lasting image of Bruni Surin, I think, if I said his name correctly, when he passed that baton to Bailey for the final hundred meters, and he was already, he was already celebrating. He already had his hands in the air. It was amazing to see. And then after that, I ended up watching Donovan Bailey when he had that race against Michael Johnson in the 150-meter event to determine who really was the fastest man on the planet at the time. I think that race was actually at the Sky Dome, if I remember correctly. And then in that race, Michael Johnson basically pulled up and quit halfway through the race. And he quit when he realized that Donovan Bailey was leading. So watching all of those videos, I ended up getting a bit inspired and ended up spending one morning at the track across the street. And I did a few sprints, maybe like four or so. And let me tell you, my legs the next few days were super sore. Anyways, getting back to the medals. All right. I think the only silver medal we got last week was from Mohammed Ahmed, who came in second in the 5,000 meter race. An overall great run for him there. He came back in the last like 200 to 300 meters or so to go from like fourth or fifth place to inch up and get that silver medal. And that was the first time the Canadians got a medal in that event, so that was cool to see. And the gold medals for this week. I believe the last medal that Canada got, or the last gold medal that they got at this year's games was by Kelsey Mitchell, who won her biking race sprint. That was Canada's 24th medal overall at this year's Summer Olympics. And it was the most that Canada has ever got at the Summer Olympics since 1984, I think. And that's the most uh, when it came to non-boycotted Olympics. There was actually another biking event I saw where there were two crashes. The first one was just a minor one, took out a few riders, maybe two or three. But then there was a second one during the race, which was huge. It took out maybe like more than 10 riders, maybe. And one girl in the slow motion ended up getting run over by someone else's bike. That was just tragic, really. And shout out to the Canada women's soccer team. They had a great run the whole Olympics. Great great uh, gold medal game against Sweden. Went to penalty shootouts. And man, that was a nail biter. Canada was down early, actually, in the in the game and in the penalty shootouts. They ended up missing three in a row at one point, but there were timely saves and timely goals. And eventually, Julia Grosso, a lefty 20-year-old, sealed the gold medal for the team after she scored. That was the first time that Canada won gold in soccer. Their last two Olympic trips, they ended up with bronze. It was likely the last Olympics for Christine Sinclair, who has been the face of Canadian soccer for more than a decade now, I feel like. So for her to go out and get that gold had to have been a good feeling. And of course, I got to talk about the weightlifting that went on at the Olympics. Obviously, there were multiple uh, multiple Olympic records set, world records set, but there was no one. Nobody more dominant out there than Lasha Talakazi, who broke a few world records. And I'm pretty sure he had them himself already, but he ended up snatching 
223 kilograms, which broke his own record of 221 kilograms, which he did four years ago at Rio. And then he clean and jerked 265 kilograms for a total of 1,076 pounds. Wow. His total was over 100 pounds more than the guy who came in second. So he's probably the greatest Olympic weightlifter ever. He's just been dominating and he does feel like he wants to compete again in 2024 if he can. But the thing is, this is actually an event that the IOC is actually looking to get rid of for the 2024 Olympics at Paris. They already are not going to have baseball or softball or karate, but they're including breakdancing, which is just weird. What are we going to see? The Jabberwockies face off against Chris Brown and Usher or something? (laughs) But also, they're looking to get rid of weightlifting now, which, I mean, make it make sense. And on to other bodybuilding news, but this one is a sad one. John Meadows passed away earlier this week. He goes by Mountain Dog One on Instagram and YouTube, and this one was sad because he's only 49, and he's been such a positive influence on the fitness community as a whole. He's done videos with a lot of people in the industry, and I've seen at least 50 of his own videos on his channel, and he's done a few with Jeff Nippard, who actually put out a really touching 8-minute tribute video for him this past week. There were so many posts about him this week, and clearly he was a big deal in the industry, so it's just another great mind in the industry that has passed away. In the NBA, Summer League started, and the Raptors' young guns are looking pretty good out there. Our draft pick, Scotty Barnes, sorry, has been playing pretty well, showcasing his defensive prowess out there. Offense needs a little bit of work, but, I mean... We'll see what happens. And the Lowry trade was finalized, so Precious Achua is playing on the team for the Summer League, and he's actually playing pretty well. And Dragic is is going to play for the Raptors this year, but, I mean, it doesn't look like he's going to be in love with playing in Toronto. Jalen Green also played well in his first few games. So this guy was drafted number two overall, and he'll be on the Houston Rockets. He's part Filipino, so that makes it even cooler. He dropped 23 points in his first game, I think, and then he went off for 25 in the next one, so good start from him so far. Even Leangelo Ball has been doing pretty well in Charlotte. He had a pretty nice shot last night, I think. There was like .6 seconds left to halftime, and he nailed this three-pointer, which was pretty crazy. So hopefully he can earn some minutes during the regular season alongside his younger brother, LaMelo. That could be even more interesting to watch during the season since LaMelo really did surprise me in his rookie year. Alright, enough about sports. So I've been working in the gym a whole lot more now that the uh, things are starting to get back into full swing basically. The gym crowds are definitely starting to pick up, and I especially noticed it this week. I was at this gym in Mississauga, and they were literally missing a whole rack of dumbbells. Luckily, I was with one of my male clients, so he was able to warm up with 40 pounds with whatever exercise we were doing. 
but there was literally not a matching set of dumbbells under 40 pounds. The whole rack with the lightest dumbbells were all gone. That and no one is really following the mask rule, which isn't surprising to me because in that gym, it's been pretty much taken over by a younger population. The gyms have been open now for about a month, I guess. Now that it's Friday, actually, it's been exactly four weeks now. So I've been starting to see more and more people at the gym now, and I spend a few hours in there every single day training my clients or when it comes to just me working out. And I've been seeing a large majority of people out there using a bunch of equipment and gear for all of their lifts. Personally, I have yet to bust out the straps yet, but it seems to me like people are quick to just start using equipment to lift more weight, like wrist wraps and straps. There's so many guys that are in there with elbow and knee sleeves, and don't get me wrong, equipment can be great, but if you're just starting out, again, you don't want to be dependent on these things. The amount of people I've seen with just bad form doing deadlifts and then they just toss on a belt thinking that's going to protect them, I don't really know what they're thinking honestly, it's just an injury waiting to happen. If the gyms are open, have been open for a bit, or maybe they're opening soon, then just please just work on the form first. Before you go in there and lift more weight than you're capable of, just work on perfecting your form first before anything else. Like I said, the gym has been back for four weeks now, and even I'm not close to feeling like I'm 100% when it comes to my strength. And that's fine. Slowly I'll get there, and slowly everyone will get there because of muscle memory. It just takes some time, just some slow, steady progress for a few weeks, probably even months since the gyms were closed for so long. You have to learn to enjoy this journey and not just try to impress other people in the gym with how much you can deadlift, then proceed to drop the weight from waist height to the floor that has no platforms or even any padding at all. And I'm mostly speaking out to the younger members who don't know any better. And I know that because I've been that guy in the gym before who would throw around the weights, not caring about anything. And you're not going to make quicker progress just constantly taking every single set and exercise to failure. There is a time and a place for that though, when you have a few years of experience, when you've practiced doing the exercises in the gym thousands of times, to the point where your chance of injury is a lot lower. Alright, enough about that. Anyways, there were a few studies I want to talk about quickly before we get into the topics of the week because they're both diet related. There was a new study that basically linked eating more plant foods to lower heart disease risk in young adults and older women. The good part about this study is that it was a long-term study. They did a follow-up 30 years later to confirm these findings. I mean, this one's pretty obvious. We've known for a long time that greens and vegetables are linked to better health in general, better immune system function, lower risk for all types of disease, so this is just more evidence that pretty much everyone needs to find a way to incorporate more plant-based foods into their diets. It doesn't mean that we all have to go vegan or vegetarian. It's all about being conscious enough with your diet to at least have a vegetable source for each meal. 
This is one that even I've been slowly trying to increase over the years. And I almost always have some vegetables for dinner, but I do need to be sorry. I do need to be more, be more better. I do need to be better or more diligent when it comes to having more plant-based foods for lunch and breakfast too. There was also another study from researchers at Tufts University, and this one was about diet in children. To sum it up, nearly two-thirds of children's calories are reportedly coming from junk foods, high-processed foods, well, in this case, they're calling it basically ultra-processed foods. This has been shown to have a direct link to diabetes, obesity, and some cancers as well. Again, this study is just pointing out the obvious, but man, that's something that one day will be tough to get around when it comes to feeding my kids. One day, I mean. I mean, these types of foods are everywhere. And even I grew up eating a lot of junk food, so it's really up to the parents to have a better selection of food for their kids, but honestly, that's a tough one. Ever since high fructose corn syrup was invented, that's basically when the obesity rates started to skyrocket. I don't really know of a strategy that'll help with this, though, besides not keeping those foods in the house, but... At the same time, kids can be pretty picky with foods and will usually just go after foods that taste good, so that's a hurdle that I'll have to figure out someday. But I think the first thing you could do is set a good example for your kids would be a good start. If they see that you don't eat a lot of junk food, then you'd hope that they do the same, but meh, we'll see. Question 1. What are the best back exercises to do. When it comes to working out, back is something or it's a body part that could get neglected, especially when you compare it to something like chest or arms or shoulders, because you can see those results right there in front of you when you look in a mirror. But when it comes to your overall health, you're going to need a balance when it comes to your physique. Back could actually be one of the more important body parts to target, since when you get older, lower back pain injuries are one of the more common ones. Lower back pain and knee problems are usually at the top of the list when it comes to injuries as you get older. That's why building a strong back is going to be especially useful, and that's been even more on the forefront the past year and a half or so because of the pandemic. That shifted a lot of the work to at home. That means spending a lot of the day sitting down, not getting up and moving as often as you would. That could lead to a forward rounding of the shoulders, causing some posture problems. I've mentioned this before, and it's a growing problem now. So hitting your back and doing exercises for your back is going to be great in the long run when it comes to your health and reducing your chance of injury in the future because you'll be strengthening your back, your spine, your core. So in no particular order, these are some of the best back exercises. Wow, what happened there? Tongue twister. These are some of the best back exercises that you could do. So we'll just start off with some easy ones that you can just start off by doing in your own house in case you're still stuck at home with no gym access. Something like a Superman would be a really simple exercise to start with. It doesn't require any equipment at all. 
You just lie down on your stomach and raise your legs and arms at the same time for a few seconds. This is an exercise that could help correct your posture a little bit, while at the same time strengthening your core, more specifically your lower back. Like I said earlier, the lower back injury is one of the more common ones, so you have to remember to target that area as well. So there's a Superman, no equipment required, and up next would be something like a proper kettlebell swing. Even if you don't have a kettlebell, you can do this one at home. Grab something that's 5 to 20 pounds at home, and just by practicing and working on the form when it comes to a kettlebell swing will be great. That'll give you some time to just go through the motions at first. This one might not target your back directly by contraction, but it'll work again, that core, the abs, and the lower back. Alright, so next up we got pull-ups. These are great to do for overall back development. This is another movement that you can do at home if you have a bar you can hang from. But especially if you have gym access, it's one that you need to be doing. This is one that I have most of my clients do because it's great to be able to move around your own body weight and handle the amount of mass that you have. It'll give you a sort of balance, at least that's what I think. It also helps build up your grip strength and it's a movement that targets your whole back. If you're doing these in the gym and pull-ups are too difficult, then most gyms have the assisted pull-up machine that you can use. That'll negate some of your body weight, but you're still pulling up the majority of your own weight. So once you get strong there, you can adjust to trying to do pull-ups with less support, like switching to using bands to help you instead. And an alternative for this movement could be something like a lat pull-down, which you can do on those cable machines. This one, again, will target most of the muscles in your upper back, but won't stress the core as much since your weight isn't suspended in the air like it is during a pull-up. Deadlifts. Deadlifts are also one to do and somehow incorporate into your life. This one's a movement where you can really overload the back. Even though this is a movement where you're not, actu uh, you're not actually contracting the back, just the amount of overload you're able to put on the back and the stress it puts on your back the deadlift, done properly, especially in the conventional way, is a great way to build your back. I mean, look at people who deadlift a lot of weight. They all have huge backs. I mean, the bodybuilding goat, arguably, Ronnie Coleman, was a big believer in deadlift, and he had one of the best backs of all time on stage. Deadlifts could be done in different ways. Could be done in a sumo style, but... Doing deadlifts the conventional way could target your back a little bit more because it does have to do more work. In a conventional stance, you're bent over more, there's more back involvement as a whole, upper and the lower back, as opposed to when you're doing a sumo stance, you're in a more upright position, and your legs and glutes do a lot more of the lifting. Now, like I said in the intro portion of this episode, I've seen lots of people in the gym lately putting weight on the bar that's too much for them when it comes to the deadlift. Now, when it comes to this lift, it's important to work on form for at least a few weeks or maybe even months with lighter weight 
and perfect that before adding weight onto the bar. It could even help to record yourself from multiple angles, especially from the side to see if you're maintaining a neutral spine angle throughout the whole lift. Of course, you can't really talk about great exercises for the back without some kind of row movement. So something like barbell rows are great to do. Personally, I do a variation of the barbell rows, which I enjoy more. They're called pendle rows. It's basically the same as the barbell row where you're bent over and rowing the weight. But when you lower the weight, you actually pause the weight on the ground and then pull or row that weight off the floor. I find this one to help my lower back a bit because there's going to be less stress on your lower back when it comes to, or sorry, when you do that full reset at the bottom where the weight is on the floor. Again, if you do find that barbell rows do stress your back too much, then you can even try any kind of chest supported row movement. A T-bar row is good, but some gyms won't have one, so you can always just rest your chest on a bench like the ones in front of the mirror or dumbbell area. You can have the bench in an incline position and rest on that while rowing either barbells if you can or using dumbbells will of course work too. I personally don't have a seal row apparatus at my gym, but that's a similar concept where you're resting your chest on a bench and then doing barbell rows in that position. And that's pretty much it. Focus on a few of those movements, or put some of them into your routine. Don't just do back machines all the time. Try some of these free weight or dumbbell or barbell movements, and you should start to see significant progress in your back progression when it comes to the physical shape and strength. So take some of those movements, do a few challenging sets weekly, and track if you're getting stronger in those movements, and you should see significant gains in your back development. Question 2. How much of a role do genetics play? So, of course, genetics are going to play a role when it comes to being healthy. Genetics play a role, basically, for everything in life. At the same time, don't let your genetics stop you from getting close to your overall potential if there's something you want to be good at. You can dictate what you do with your life, regardless of your genetic makeup and whatever you were handed to you. I mean, obviously, some things may be out of reach. If you're less than six feet tall, then chances are you're not going to play in the NBA, or it makes it pretty difficult to play most sports on a professional level. Now, just because genetics play a big part of your structure and height and your muscle bellies and how many abs you have when you're leaner, doesn't mean that you don't try to do anything in your power or don't try to do everything in your power to stay healthy with whatever kind of body you have. Just because your genetics lean one way doesn't mean that you can't be healthy. Maybe you won't be Mr. Olympia. Maybe you won't have a perfect chest, maybe your calves will be forever small, but that doesn't mean that you should just give up and not do everything in your power, if you really want to, when it comes to hitting your genetic potential. Genetics basically determine basically everything, and of course it'll dictate how tall you are, 
and that can affect exercises like a squat because of your lower body limb lengths. It can make benching a little bit harder if your arms have to travel like a greater length or if your arms are super long, you might not be able to get super strong in the bench. Now me, I'm pretty short, so things like bench I can actually be pretty strong in since my range of motion isn't that large. The bottom line I'm trying to get to is that you shouldn't let your genetics determine what your future is going to be. So yes, genetics will play a part when it comes to if you want to one day be a bodybuilder, but regardless of your genetics, you can resistance train and exercise in order to stay in shape or just be healthy in general. So muscle insertions are something that you can't change, like the way your chest is shaped. Maybe you have a split down the middle, or maybe you have a chest that connects at the middle. Maybe you only have a four-pack when it comes to your abs instead of a six-pack. Or maybe your bicep doesn't insert right into your elbow, so maybe there is going to be a bit of space there when you flex. And no matter what exercise you do, you're not going to be able to fill in that gap. But that doesn't mean that you should just give up because your genetics are against you. That just means... Unfortunately, you may have to work harder in this department in order for you to build a muscle like a bicep as big as you want. And genetics could also mean that losing weight could be a little bit more difficult for you. Our genetics are what makes each one of us unique. And that's why when it comes to fitness, it's not just eat this and do this program and you'll achieve your dream body. Everybody is different, so we have to take everything into account when it comes to bettering your overall health. Just because some parts of your genetics could be against you doesn't mean it's impossible, but you may have to work harder than most people when it comes to whatever you're trying to improve on. Just because you do a 23andMe genetic test that says it's hard for you to lose weight doesn't mean you just give up. And I don't know if that's actually one of the things that they find in one of those genetic testing, but that's just for example's sake there. Genetics could play a part in you being out of shape and maybe unathletic, but it also has to do with your upbringing and the way you were raised. Especially when it comes to habits around the home where you spend the majority of the time and also your eating habits. If you regularly grew up in a household where your parents ate snacks constantly in front of the TV, just hung out inside, then chances are you're going to do the same when you're older because you don't really know any better. Unless you actively make a decision to change that part of your life. That's something I had to do. I grew up watching adults watch TV all day, Filipino shows or whatever, eat junk food, and I would do the same. It was only when I started working out that's when I realized that I had to do something about my diet as a whole if I wanted to be a healthier person. So basically, don't blame genetics when it comes to not achieving what you want to achieve. It's about doing the most with the hand you were dealt. If you're not genetically gifted with big calves, then that might mean you have to work on them more than someone else does, and that's really up to you at the end of the day. That's exactly the situation I'm in. My calves weren't gifted to me. I didn't get the Filipino big calves, whatever. 
I have naturally small ones, unfortunately, but now I'm trying to do what I can to build it up. That might mean hitting them more often, so I've been doing them every other day for the past few weeks now. And you can basically take that same approach with whatever body part you might feel that's lagging behind. If you're genetically not gifted in anything, then just spend more time practicing and working on whatever it is. That could apply to anything fitness or health related, or really just anything in life. So let me repeat myself for the last time today. If you want to be good at something, focus and spend more time doing what it is. And you should start to see results if you have that consistency. And that concludes episode 48 of the podcast. Thank you for listening. If you really enjoyed the episode or my podcast as a whole, then please leave a review and comment on iTunes or whatever your choice of podcast platform is. Also, if you haven't already, you should hit that subscribe button because I'll be releasing episodes every Friday. If you want to follow me, your host, I'm Isaiah.Copon on Instagram. And you can also check out my website, IsaiahCopon.com. If you want to follow the podcast, you can check out at Lift and Learn Podcast on Instagram. And there's also a Facebook page if you just search Lift and Learn Podcast.